All right. Well, if you're a guest, I'm Pastor Michael Descoli, and I'm the lead pastor here at Summit. We're currently in a study. We're calling Outrageous Joy. It's been a good, good study. I'm uh, a, a little bit fearful about next year because I feel like the Lord is leading me to teach the book of Daniel. And uh, we'll start that in January. And I'm really excited because Daniel is very practical in a lot of ways. Plus, it's going to force us to look at prophecies. And it's going to stretch me, so appreciate your prayers and look forward to that time. It's going to be a good, good winter, okay, even if the wind should happen to blow a little bit through it all. My personal goal for today, and the reason I give a personal goal each, each uh, Sunday is just to send the message that I'm really not a preacher, okay? Uh, I'm just a, a, a vessel, and God speaks to me as much as he speaks to anybody. So for anyone to think that I'm on some kind of pedestal <laughs> or, or uh, on my high horse and proclaiming something that you all need to catch up with me on, I'm just trying to level the ground here and say, hey, I'm just a man like you. I'm on the same walk that you are on, and together we can learn some things. So my personal goal today is to practice setting my sights beyond the troubles of today, all right? That's where joy lies, is the capacity to see beyond our current battles. Now, if you were here last week, and, and glory to God for last week, and, and just the responses of you all to the teaching, it was just glorious, and, uh, and praise God, just that outline again, rejoice, the plan is your progress, not your perfection, yeah, yay God, rejoice, the past is past, you can let it go. Rejoice, the future holds hope. You can grab a hold of that, okay? And just let that feed your joy as you do life in this messed up world. And we would be less than honest if we were to say that this world isn't messed up because this world is messed up. If you were just to take war, for, for, for example, all over the world, there is tension going on. And Jesus gave us forewarning when he said, Prophetically, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. And you could hear that and, and you could argue and say, well, wars have happened throughout history. Yes, but the emphasis here is that as the time of the end and the time of Christ's return draws near, that we can expect these kinds of things as well as other natural disasters, if you read this in its context, and just uh, difficult things will happen with greater intensity and frequency, okay? So we shouldn't be surprised when, when these things happen. So someone says, well, how close are we? Well, I'm not exactly sure, but I do know this. We have to be at least 2,000 years closer than when Jesus gave us the prophecy in the first place. Can we all agree on that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, give God praise for that. <laughs> And if you understand biblical prophecy, 2,000s are pretty significant. So we could be right at the threshold of, of some continuing amazing things. Things are not looking good in this old world. But then I have to bring this closer to home and say, for me, the real clincher on this whole war business is the reality that the biggest wars are being fought in our own homes. I mean, men and women who stand before God and make their greatest commitments and their greatest vows of love and devotion to one another end up fighting the worst kind of battles in the divorce court. And, and this is terrible. We don't know what friendship is about anymore. 
We don't know what commitment is about anymore. We're so dependent that we don't need to put up with anyone. And we certainly don't know how to extend grace to one another. Yet, aren't we that generation that said, make love, not war? Huh? Hell of all the signs. And, and we who had all the answers for national and world leaders are losing the battles in our own homes. This is very real. And again, I don't say this to put myself on a platform. I don't say it to be condescending in, in any way. I say it because for anyone who will see it and anyone who will hear it, all of this shows us how fallen we are and how desperately what we need what Jesus accomplished on the cross and how desperately we need the hope that Jesus is coming again to set things straight, to fix it all, and to take charge. Does anybody like that part of it? Okay, awesome. So in this messed up world, as we're walking through this messed up world, Paul is now going to give us marching orders, uh, some tools to help feed our joy along the way. And the first one is this, and again, I don't know why we have these three points these last couple of weeks, but it's okay. This is very good. The first one is we need examples to follow. Now, if we go to our text, we're working through the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 3, verse 17. Look what Paul says. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have, have us, plural, as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So all eyes on Jesus, that's what we're about here, and have a few others in between to help you get that focus straight. Now, back to last week's teaching. Okay, Last week we saw that Paul would be the first guy to admit he was far from perfect. Yet right here, it's interesting to point out that he's bold enough to say, you can follow me. And not only can you follow me, but recognize that there are a few others in the body that are worth following as, as well. What he understands is he understands the value of us having a Jesus with skin on it. He understands the value and he's willing to be for us a Jesus with skin on it. In fact, he uh, qualifies this for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look what he says here. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And what Paul is doing in saying that is there are no perfect leaders other than Jesus Christ. And as long as I'm helping you to get your focus on Jesus, who is the goal, who is the prize, who is the target, you can follow me. So in that, you'll often hear me as your pastor talk about mentors who have influenced my life. You'll hear me talk about Pastor Jimmy. You'll hear me talk about Reverend Bailey. You'll hear me talk about Pete Davidson, whom I credit for my coming to faith. You'll hear me talk about Pete's dad, Mr. Mr. Davidson. You'll hear me talk about a guy at NAU, Northern Arizona University, named, named Pat, Pat Collins. But it's interesting that if you were to get a moment with Pete Davidson and you were to talk to him... And you were to say, Pete, tell me about your influence on Mike, Michael Descoli's life, how you influenced him to Christ. And Pete would probably you know, shake his head and he'd say, well, I, I don't get it. Because the time frame in which Michael is talking about was a very dark time in my life, a time of rebellion. And, and to that, I would respond to Pete typically, 
Pete, aren't you glad God's bigger than you are? And if God, I think the point is, is really clear here, and we all need to hear it, that if God can use this kid named Peter Davidson to influence a kid named Michael Descoli, God can use you. And if God can use a guy like the Apostle Paul to influence millions over the centuries, God can use you. And so based on our text, I want to introduce you to a principle that was introduced to me by another mentor of mine, a professor at Indiana Wesleyan University, a guy named Keith Drury, one of my first exposures, about 18 years old. I got some youth pastor training, just like we're sending David and Jennifer to do this week. He introduced me to a number of principles, but one of them was called the accountability triad. The accountability triad. And triads are really important. Threes are, are numbers of strength. But if you want to be effective in shooting a rifle, you know there has to be three points in order to, to hit a target. You have to start with your eye, then you take the sight or the scope, and then you have the target. There's three points in order to create the, this straight line. Now, I'm afraid of heights. Okay, anybody else here afraid of heights? Okay, yeah, so I freely admit that I have a, a fear of heights, but I'm not afraid to challenge my fear of heights either. And because I'm not afraid to challenge my fear of heights, I will put myself in situations that stretch me, situations where, where I, I'm uncomfortable. And if you're ever with me in one of those high, precarious places, then you're liable to see my caution and say something to me like this, whatever you do, Mikey, don't look down. Yeah, thank you for that very much. I even get queasy looking at pictures of high places. I, I really do. So, so, so I took a group of buddies, or I went with a group of buddies to, up to Toronto to watch the Blue Jays play at the Sky Dome there. And right next to the Sky Dome is this tower that you see here. That's the CN Tower. That observation deck right in the middle is called the Sky Pod. And it is 1,465 feet in the air. Okay, you heard me right. 1,465 feet in the air. A guy like me has no business going up to places like that. Right? Now, this next group shows a bunch of crazy people that are stretching themselves even further than I dare would off of this little deck. Okay? Yeah. But the third picture shows us that on the, on the floor of the sky pod, a section of it is made out of glass, okay? Now, very few people would even dare walk across that glass floor, but I'm going to stretch myself, right? You say, well, I have no business being in the tower in the first place, and I absolutely have no business walking across this glass floor, but I say to my buddies, you guys, I'm walking this floor, and I dare you to walk with me. Okay? Now, one of those guys used to work on skyscrapers in Los Angeles, putting up those steel frames, okay? And he had trouble walking across this, steel this glass floor. They, they could have protested. They could have said, Mikey, you're not following Jesus. We're not following you. But, but they came with me, they walked across this floor, and, and, and honestly, you have that sense of instability, but I was able to stop, and I was able to look straight down. Those aren't my feet in the picture, okay? But I was able to look straight down, 
And, and how does a guy like me do that? Well, I have three points in my brain. I see where I'm starting from, right? I see the goal to get across that floor, and then I see the path to take me there. And in this case, it happens to be a glass floor. And so I have to make a decision, do I trust that glass floor? And the moment I can say I trust that glass floor, I can begin to step out and stretch myself beyond my own capacities, right? In this journey through life, things get really, really messy. And if you're going to get through it successfully, and if you're going to have a, a little bit of joy along the way, you've got to recognize, number one, where you are, your eye. You've got to recognize where it is you're going, the prize, Jesus, the goal, right? And you've got to say it's worth it. And you've got to believe that he's able to carry you along the path in order to get you there. Okay, so that no matter what you're going through in life, you have confidence that in the end, it's worth it. Right on? Yeah. So what this does, it forces us to ask ourselves a series of questions. Number one, who are you following? Number two, who's following you? And number three, where is it you're going? Who are you following? Who's following you? And where are you going? This is the accountability triad. And we see it really, really clearly in Jesus' statement there in 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul says to us, you, I, eyes, right? Follow me, path, as I follow who? Christ. That's the goal. See it? Where you are how you're getting, where you're going, and how you're getting there. It's all in that, and that is, is the accountability triad. Don't look down, okay? Even though I was willing to look to that floor, don't look left or right. Don't let the distractions mess you up, but you keep your focus on Jesus and have a few people in between to help you see Jesus a little more clearly, all right? Yeah, and we're going to see in a moment that that doesn't apply to everyone in the church, I'm just saying a few, and that's what Paul says. There are a few who are really getting it. So the application right here, recognize who it is you're being influenced by. Recognize who it is that you're influencing and be more intentional about both. Got it? All right, cool. Well, let's go on to the second thing. Now we're going to mess this up a little bit because there are some things aware of. And this takes us to verse 18. Paul says, for as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, and I'd circle the word tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. Okay, so now we have this text before us, and I just have to say there's a little bit of a debate as to who it is exactly that Paul's talking about here. Some say he's talking about the Judaizers, and you should remember them from a few weeks ago. These are those Jewish Christians who are teaching Jesus plus. Beware of anyone who teaches Jesus plus. You keep your eyes on Jesus, all right? You, you desire to know him above all else. Others say that he's talking about another heresy in the church, and still others say he's not talking about people in the church at all, but instead he's talking about people who are outside of the church. Now, the reality is, 
Paul has just said there are a few people in the church that are with, worth following. And we need to be aware that there are people in the church who, who, who are not following Jesus. Okay, Some people even come in with selfish agendas, and we need to be aware of those kind of people. But there are those people in the church worth following, and we need to see that loud and clear. So what I want to do, though, is I want to take both. I want to take this idea that Paul's talking about people in the church to be aware of, but also people outside of the church to be aware of. And I just want to use this as far as application goes. Now, notice Paul's harsh statements that he makes right here. Now, now just imagine a group of people taking poster board, okay, and making signs with these statements that Paul gives us. And they, they carry these statements and march them down Elkhorn Boulevard, okay? These signs say things like this, your enemies of the cross, your destiny is destruction, your God is your stomach, your glory is your shame, okay? Awkward, right? Yeah, how, how would that go over? I mean, and it would merit defense. I mean, people would shout back things like, arrogant, you self-righteous blankety-blank, right? You're no better than anybody else. God loves everyone. Well, there have been believers who have done those kind of things, but I'm telling you, they're missing what it is that Paul's talking about right here. And this is why I highlighted the word tears. Paul says what he says with tears, sincerely weeping for people who don't share the same understanding. How is it that in a book about joy, the author is suddenly weeping? Well, the first thing we need to recognize is the person Paul is describing is himself before he had a real encounter with Christ. Everything he says is, is a picture of himself. So he's not, he, he's, he's looking back, yes, even though he said the past is past, let it go, but he's not staying there because his burden is for those who still need to know the Lord in the same way that he knows the Lord. That's what's going on here. So he's not saying, I'm better than you. He's saying, God loves you, and he has so much more for you than what you're currently experiencing. And, and I highlight this because, to be very honest with you, as pastor, I get nervous around those believers, religious people, I guess we, we could call them, who don't want to have anything to do with anyone that doesn't share their beliefs. They just want to isolate themselves. And if you understand Jesus' heart, I mean, look at the high priestly prayer. When Jesus prayed for his followers, he prayed these words. He says, my prayer is not that you take my followers out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And you could add there, as they're going through the world, right? Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it sanctify them, which means set them apart, but not in the sense of isolation, set them apart for purpose, okay? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Now watch this. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And then if you read on a few verses further into verse 21, we see the purpose so that the world may believe. So what needs to be confronted right here as we're walking th through this text is this idea that 
as far as we're concerned as Christians, in comparing ourselves to the world, it's us against them. No, it is not us against them. Paul is weeping. And we need to beware of preachers or of anyone that would dare pose questions like this. Now listen to these questions because you've heard them in church and I can't believe how they resounded in my brain from hearing them myself. Now listen to these questions. Why would anyone live like that? Why would anyone do such a thing? Why would anyone vote like that? Why wouldn't everyone want to come to church? Why wouldn't everyone want to come to Christ? Do you hear these questions? And when the best we can do is be angry at the world and its ways, what we're doing, at least two things, we're forgetting exactly what it was that Jesus died for, and we're forgetting exactly what it is that Jesus has rescued us from. These are questions that ought not to be asked in the church. Paul wept for them. Do we? He, he himself was what he described, an enemy of the cross. His destiny was destruction. His God was his stomach. His glory was his shame. And boy, did we highlight that when we, when we got there. But through a miracle... God made himself known to the Apostle Paul, who was then Saul, and transformed his life forever. Forever! And we need to believe that for all people. Friend, we are here on short-term assignment. It's where our eyes are now. We are going to a better place. It's the goal. This is the path to get us here, and along the way, God wants to, make us, to use us to make a difference in the life of someone else. So right here, I have a challenge. How are we doing? You guys look intent. You look, I mean, not content. You look intent. You, I mean, you're, you're tracking. It's good. It's beautiful to see. I want to issue this challenge. I'm, I've just worked through a uh, curriculum, a self-guided curriculum, but you really need to do it with a group of people called The Arts of Spiritual Conversations, okay? And, and I've been taught many different ways of sharing your faith, but I've never taught any, been taught anything like this. And I would like all of you to consider participating in The Arts of Spiritual Conversations. And, wh and what it does, it, it challenge, challenges each of us to develop nine arts or skills that allow opportunity for us to recognize God is truly working in people's lives and that he wants to use us in the process. Not to fulfill your agenda, not so you can have scalps to post on your belt, like, yep, just led another one to Christ, you know. Not so that we could come here and give awards that, you know, wow, look at him, he's led 20 people to Jesus, right? But he can't keep up with the pastor because there were only 10 people at church last Sunday, but he led 60 to Jesus, Right? No, that's not what this is about. This is about loving people. And, and let me give you a few of these arts. No, the, the number one art is be aware of people. God help me to be aware of people. Number two, begin praying for people. Number three, listen to people. Rather than having to have all the answers, just listen to their story. 
Number four, ask questions. And this great question that I've appreciated that is now a part of who I am is this question. Have you ever had an experience or known anyone that's caused you to think maybe God is real? (laughs) And then just listen. This is a very excellent tool, and uh, today after church, there's going to be some folks, uh, Larry and Susan, ask for Larry and Susan, they'll be at the connection table, and, and they'll be glad to talk to you further about the arts of, of spiritual conversations. But I want to talk to you just a little bit about people who come to church that don't get it. I mean, really, are there people in the church that are enemies of the cross, whose destiny is their destruction, whose God is their stomach, whose glory is their shame, whose mind is on earthly things? And I want you to hear it from me right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Remember, Paul has just told us, in the t- told us in the text that there are a few that are following hard after Christ. You follow them. Okay, now this isn't a thing where we're now supposed to go around separating people because Jesus said, don't separate the wheat from the tares. It's not your job. If you try to do that, you're going to mess up a whole bunch of wheat along the way. But you find those folks that are going hard after Jesus and you go after them. The rest of the people consider yourself an influencer upon them. And how are you loving them? How are you influencing them? Listen, we don't control who comes to church. We don't control where people are on their spiritual journey when they come here. Honestly, some come here to build a business. Some come here to mess things up. And we're not worried about that. Because in the, we don't care why people come. Because God's power is enough that for whatever reason they may show up, He can get a hold of their lives and change them forever. Okay? We've got to believe that. Now, there are those who, who want to accuse people in the church of, of being hypocrites. Now, I'm a hypocrite, okay? Uh, can I just say that, okay? I don't live up to everything I profess. Sometimes I wear a mask. That's really what that's all about. So go ahead, shoot at me, all right? But, but there are also people who come to church that, that don't even care. They're going to say one thing and, and do another thing. Okay, we can't worry about that. If you're keeping your eyes on them, your eyes are on the wrong place. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Now, I'll I'll never forget a family that I love. I was so excited about the Lord, and I was excited when this family started getting excited about the Lord. In Tucson, they were the neighbors behind us, and these were really cool people. So them coming to Jesus meant a lot to me. And they started going to church. They were excited about their church. They were excited about the scriptures. They were excited about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, it was like somebody shut the faucet off and so I was concerned about him and I said what happened to you guys you were so cranked about God and now all of a sudden it's like nothing's happening oh oh you you wouldn't believe what happened we were at church one Sunday and we came out there was a big dent in the side of our car because one of those church people opened their car door slammed it into ours and didn't even bother to leave a note No, 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 no. We've got to be more gracious than that. We've got to be. Not everybody gets it and not everybody lives where you are. And if your eyes are there, your eyes are in the wrong place. You're going to get messed up every time. I've had people tell me that they wouldn't go to a particular church because of somebody who goes there. And if you're afraid of coming here because somebody might get the wrong idea about us, 
Keep coming. Mess up our reputation because your pastor wants you here. Is that fair enough? I don't care what they know about you. I just care where you're, where you're going. Are there people in church worth following? Absolutely. Let them get in between you and Jesus and be the scope that leads you to the goal, to the target. So the application, do we weep for people who aren't getting it? Oh, God, break our hearts. Let's not divide ourselves against one another, but let's have the heart of Christ for people. Amen? All right, let's go on to the third one. Remember, we are heaven bound. So now we've seen we need some encouragers along the way. We've got to beware on the path because there are people that will mess us up if we let them. And now we see the target. We are heaven bound. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, right? Now, once in a while, you'll hear me as your pastor say, you know, don't get too excited about the song, I'll fly away, okay? Because we've got a job to do in the meantime. But right here, I just want you to know, the scripture says, get excited, Jesus is coming, all right? So regardless of what I say, don't let your pastor ever put water, cold water on your hope. Right on? Yeah, you better believe it. Let this encourage you. Why there are some believers who just walk with their heads down all the time, I don't understand. Don't. Oh, man, keep your eyes on the right place. Keep on the goal. We're going home. This is all temporary, right? So it goes on. Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control. Anybody want a bumper sticker that says Jesus for president? Yeah, yeah, huh? Yeah. You better believe it. Election 2016, right? The gold party. Yeah. Jesus for president. Probably power enables him to bring everything under his control. You got to like this part. We'll transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Can we get an amen there? <laughs> Trade this old body in for a brand new one. What's it going to be? What's it going to look like? Well, you define that for yourself, okay? I won't even try to help you. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. I just love the way Paul describes the people he influences in Christ as being precious stones in his crown, right? Yeah, he's excited. He says, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So just a quick summary right here. In chapter 1, verse 6, we are called to be confident in the Lord. In chapter 2, verse 5, we're called to have the mind or the attitude of Christ. In chapter 3, verse 1, we're called to rejoice in the Lord. And by the way, next week you'll want to be here. Perfect sermon for Thanksgiving. We need to decipher the difference between rejoicing always and rejoicing in the Lord always, okay? Because there's a huge difference here, and you're going to want to hear this teaching. Chapter 4, verse 1 right here, we're to call to, stand, to call to stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord as opposed to what? Circumstances, people, and stuff, right? But notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say stand still. It says to stand firm. That means 
Grab a hold of him with everything you've got. He's the solid platform worth standing on. It's not glass. You can trust it. He will not move. He's a rock. He's a sure foundation. You are here on temporary assignment. So I like the idea. I like the idea that this world is not our homeland. I like the idea that Jesus is coming again. I like the idea that when he comes, he's going to take charge. I like the idea that he's, going to, that he's going to transform this body. I love this stuff. It feeds my joy. Let it feed your joy. Mm. Yeah. Mm. All right. <laughs> but let's not throw the rest of the world into the trash, into the judgment. Let's believe for their transformation. Let's believe for their hope, for their possibilities. Let's not let them go. If God can change you, God can change anyone. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My riches, they're laid up. Somewhere beyond the blue, where many friends will help me, that's one thing that I know. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Mm -hmm. Oh, Lord, you know, I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, oh, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me to heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. I am going to a city where the streets of gold are laid, where the tree of life is blooming and the roses never fade. Here they bloom but for a season. Soon their beauty is decayed. I am going to a city where the roses never fade. You got your eye. You got the prize. This is the only path to take you there. Can you trust him? Why don't we stand and sing about heaven? <laughs>